0: got the live stream going. Um, if somebody, I am unable to see on my end, um, if the Facebook feed is working okay. So if somebody could just, um, drop me a comment or something to let me know whether or not the audio and video and everything is sounding okay. Do you? I had some issues with this last time where there was a terrible echo on the microphone and and my video wasn't working and all kinds of stuff. So if you can just let me know if you can see and hear me, okay? Then we can I'll get going. Or if anybody watching has my number, just text me. not let me see it. Okay. Refresh. So this is a different format for the podcast. Um, Instead of just doing this um, on my own, recording it, editing it, and then posting it, I want to try doing it differently. I want to try doing it live um, so that I have the opportunity to immediately engage the content with anybody that might be watching. So, um, this is broadcast to Facebook Live right now. Um, it's also going to Periscope um, for Twitter users. It's also going to Daily Motion. Unfortunately, YouTube is taking extra long to verify my settings, so it's not currently streaming to YouTube. But um, for anybody else, That's where you can catch it. Um, I believe um, I still have it set up that you could watch it on GodofHoneybees.com if you wish. Um, So we'll get started in just a second here. I'm just double checking. I'd hate to do this whole thing and then uh, and then find out that it wasn't uh, wasn't playing correctly. Okay. Sounds like it's sounding okay. So we'll get started. <clears throat> okay, so like I said, this is a bit of a different format. Um, here's my goal: I'm going to go through the episode, go through the content I have, and then end the episode there, and then open it up for Q and A for anybody that might be watching on Facebook Live, um, Periscope, Daily Motion, that kind of thing. The easiest place. Um, to drop your comments right now would be through facebook live um, so if you're watching this on any of the other outlets, um, if you can drop it on Facebook live um, you can send me a tweet you can send me um, a message on parlor you can send me an instagram message i 've got all of those things ready so i 'm going to try to be able to catch everybody's questions as much as I possibly can um, and then, for those that uh, might be interested in this after the fact, after this live event's done, I'm going to publish this episode and then the Q and A as two separate episodes on the podcast channel, um, so you can get that uh, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, everywhere you get the podcast, Spotify. Um, so that'll be where we can listen to it later on. So with that. Let's get this rolling. Refresh this here. Okay, so I'm going to get through the content and then end the episode, and then I'll look back at the comments, and we can engage in Q&A that way, just so it's it's clean. <clears throat> so this episode is about unity, um, and it's about... Asking ourselves, what kind of unity do we actually want? So you may have noticed, as I have, um, quite a sharp rise in calls for unity and, conversely, advocations against it. In light of the 2020 election chaos, some politically motivated groups are calling for unity among the two parties, Democrat and Republicans, left and right. Um, calling to reach across the aisle, etc. Some have called for unity against an opponent. Um, I feel like really this could be attributed to both sides of that aisle. We have some of the political left calling for unity against Trump. Um, attempts at squashing any kind of engagement with his claims, um, not engaging him at all in order to not, um, you know, validate um, him as the president. Um, And then on the other side, we have some of the political right calling for the undying unity with Trump and his claims. Some of the outlets that I follow have, again, almost religious nature in agreeing with absolutely everything um, that he says. I've seen political commentators arguing that this past Thanksgiving was more important than most because it was an opportunity to connect with loved ones that we haven't otherwise interacted with because of COVID. I've heard, quote unquote, comedians arguing that you ought not forgive or interact with your family members that are Republicans. She argued, don't go to their weddings, don't go to dinner with them, don't forgive them, and other deeply divisive advice. So this is the view in the microscopic interactions of our society. When you're in the thick of it at this scale, this is one way that it may look. Deeply divisive, petty, full of tribalism. If you'd hoped for the 2020 election to bring some kind of normalcy back to our day-to-day, you are probably disappointed, as it's still up in the air. Riots haven't stopped Political chaos hasn't stopped. Lockdowns and COVID mandates haven't stopped. So it's in times like this where one can so easily and unintentionally end up with blinders on that prevent us from seeing much of anything besides our immediate interactions. The macro is ignored because the micro is so damn loud. Take a moment to let anyone listening either live or on the podcast later, that you might hear Oliver in the background because he's busy in his playroom. Recently, I heard a podcast episode from Sam Harris uh, in which he discusses the current threat of nuclear war with William J. Perry and Lisa Perry. Taken from uh, the podcast description from Sam Harris, it says, William J. Perry served as the... the U.S. Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering in the Carter administration and then as the 19th U.S. Secretary of Defense in the Clinton administration. So in this talk with Sam Perry explains that in 2020 we are at least at as much risk of nuclear war than at any other point in history if not more so. He gives thorough explanations as to why he thinks this, um, that this is the case. But one key takeaway from the talk for me was this. At any point, we are roughly 15 minutes from nuclear destruction. So that means that based on the procedures in place, uh, response time, capabilities of the nuclear weapons that we have, that other countries have, um if an all-out nuclear war were to begin we in this country would have roughly 15 minutes before all-out destruction began so this is a bit like the notion that if the sun were to suddenly go out and stop shining we would have somewhere around eight and a half minutes before our light is gone we're eight and a half minutes away unknowingly Whether or not the sun goes out. So things like this create a feeling of living constantly on the edge of total annihilation and each moment being a precious one. Kind of constantly on the bleeding edge of possibilities in respect to nuclear war or the sun going out. Now, in the comments section, if you're watching this live, drop me a comment if you're uh, familiar with this book. It's called Unrestricted Warfare. Unrestricted Warfare is a book written by two senior colonels in the People's Liberation Army in China. The book explicitly discusses how China could defeat technologically superior opponents, such as the United States. Now, This uh, book was written in 1999, so the argument that the United States is technologically superior is kind of increasingly indefensible. Um, Things have changed quite a lot since 1999. What's more is that this book is not about standard military engagement. It's about using unconventional tactics to defeat their opponents. So this is uh, includes things like legal warfare that they've termed lawfare and terrorism. They specifically talk about attacking a country's networks, information networks. And this is not news, right? It's not news that the Chinese government has been. um, Trying these different methods in varying degrees in certain context, especially Uh, as far as attacking U.S. information networks. Just numerous, numerous um, attempts at hacking our most critical networks every single day. It's also not news that China, Chinese government, has been detaining, um, organ harvesting, and outright killing anyone that they see as a threat even if that means being targeted simply because of race, creed, or religion. And I believe I'm pronouncing this right, but forgive me if I've gotten this wrong. I believe it's pronounced the Uyghurs um, have already come into the world spotlight uh, because the Chinese government has been engaging in mass sterilization of this Muslim minority. The Chinese government are also actively engaged in finding ways to destroy U.S. satellites, which, if successful, would throw much of our day to day life into complete chaos, never mind the impact it would have on our ability to front a military response. So not only are they engaging in network attacks every single day, they're engaging in lawfare trying to leverage U.S. laws against us. They're engaging in warfare among the satellites, trying to knock out, find ways to knock out U.S. satellites. And as as anyone who watches the news knows, are detaining people, taking organs from them, obviously against their will, killing people, Um locking them up in re-education camps simply based on race, creed, religion, political dissidence, that sort of thing. This is not news to us. Now, I'm pointing out these two examples of real existential threats to bring our attention to something. I'm, I'm calling them real existential threats because nuclear war and chinese government that has it out for countries like the u.s specifically the u.s and is engaging in genocide mass murder all kinds of human rights atrocities these are without a doubt existential threats to the united states and other countries obviously the macro scale The world outside our bubbles. This is what I'm trying to draw your attention to. Our country is caught up in hunting down any microaggression in the name of postmodern revolution, deplatforming anyone who commits any perceived infraction of these new, new rules. We're busy arguing for the shutting down of science in favor of other cultural ways of knowing. All the while asserting that objective knowledge doesn't exist, that an individual using language that a victim uh, a victim identity hasn't pre approved is actually an act of violence, and other, I would argue, insane positions. Now, the point here is this we face actual existential threats out there. Beyond our borders are groups that, surprise, surprise, aren't friendly to the American experiment. So let's engage in a thought experiment. Let's say the Chinese government manages to knock out crucial satellites. They compromise critical information networks, and they engage in an actual military response against us. Perhaps other forces temporarily allied with the Chinese are also poised against us. So we're facing multiple enemies at the same time. Now we, as a nation crippled by initiatives like the ones I'd mentioned just a moment ago, are at real risk of losing, right? If our satellites are taken out, if there's a even increased threat of nuclear response, nuclear war, we're at a very real risk. Uh, especially if our ability to front some kind of military response is compromised. Now do you think that a government such as the CCP would for a second give a shit about recognizing someone's marginalized identity? Would they self-censor their microaggressions when engaging with someone who isn't white? The CCP, the Chinese government, right? If all of a sudden were under actual threat from them, do you think that any of these would apply to them? Would they respect other ways of knowing and agree that while they did manage to obliterate our satellites using tools such as physics and math, or destroy our banking networks with objective facts about how computers work, Sure, we can agree that your cultural ways of knowing are just as valid. If an all-out nuclear war began, resulting in apocalyptic conditions in America, or other countries, for that matter, with no guarantee of victory against an opponent such as the CCP, would the level of diverse ethnic backgrounds and gender identities in government matter as much? These aren't unfounded hypothetical scenarios these are very real possibilities my point is perhaps we need to put some of the issues we're trying to wade through into perspective i'm not saying we need to do away with it we obviously need to engage in all kinds of all all the ideas that we all have to find a good way forward but i would argue that maybe we need to put them into perspective We should find a way to hear one another honestly so that we can actually come together in unity and make sense of the world in a very real way. Because we, as American citizens, have really only one hope for leveling any kind of resistance against forces that seek to wipe us out, and that's unity. Divided, we are highly vulnerable. This is why speech about how you shouldn't forgive your family members who happen to be Republicans is destructive. How silencing anybody because of their ideas or of their skin color is weakening us. Those that wish to do us harm do not give trigger warning, a fuck about your identity. The only group that you can join arms with is your neighbor and we are desperately in need of a way to do that not by forcing one ideology over another obviously but by working together under the common goal of making our lives and country unified prosperous and safe for everyone so my personal plea is to find ways to start to heal the gaps between yourself and those you disagree with. We need each other now more than ever. Thanks for listening. This is the God of Honeybees Podcast. I'm Justin Her.